chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. Stay straight. Stay straight. An elderly man lay dying in his bed. In death's agony, he suddenly smelled the aroma of his favorite chocolate chip cookies. He was rising up the stairs to his room where he lay waiting for death to come and take him away. He was at the end of his life. But somehow he gained strength from the aroma of those chocolate chip cookies. The smell of it kind of brought him to. He felt a little energy surging through his body. He finally got the strength to rise up out of the bed. First time he'd been out of bed in weeks. He put his feet on the floor. He was a little wobbly, but by grabbing the wall and holding on to himself, he was able to work himself to the bedroom door. He got to the stairs, and he thought, oh, man, these stairs are going to be rough. Oh, I'm so weak. Then another whiff of those chocolate chip cookies hit him in the nose, and he's like, oh, I got to go, got to go. So he worked his way one step at a time, very feebly working down those steps, holding on to the wall. He got all the way down to the end, and he held on as he worked his way through the hallway down to the end where the kitchen was, and he walked into the kitchen where there was a big old tray of chocolate chip cookies there on the counter cooling off. His eyes were dim and weak. His hands were shaky. He reached up there, though, to grab that cookie, and suddenly he felt a slap across his hand. He looked over, and it was his wife, and she said, Stay out of those. Those are for your funeral. Amen. I don't know what that has to do with anything. It just felt like telling it. I've been smelling good food cooking all morning, but I knew we had to stay out of it until this afternoon. I hope you'll stay and have lunch with us. We're going to have a good time. And uh, stay to the church address. I hope you'll stick around and hear that. It's something very important to me that I do every year, just to get us on the, the right path here. Numbers 13, how many of you are there? I'm sorry, Numbers 14, how many of you are there? Say amen. All right, I'm going to start reading. I'm going to read through this, and I'm going to try to refrain from from making a whole lot of commentary, because it'll eat up my time, although there'll be a lot there that I'm going to have to leave on the, on the, on the field here. But uh, we're going to get to the good part of it really quickly here. Look at, at chapter 14, verse 1, it says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. Now you wonder, when you read a verse like that, what in the world has happened? Good night, everybody is weeping and crying. You read that verse... And then you have to go back to the previous chapter to figure out what happened. Now, the previous chapter starts out with Moses picking out 12 men, 12 leaders, one from each of the 12 tribes, and he says, here we are, we're at the mouth of Canaan land. This is that land that God has promised us. This is that land that was promised to our fathers. This is that land that we were told about so long ago that we've been praying for. It's here. We're at the mouth of it. It's time for us to go get it. Man, you can imagine the excitement. They've just left Egypt. They've traveled. They've made this journey. Here they are. All these years of waiting, and it's about to happen. So Moses sends those men, and they go in, and they, they begin to survey the situation. And the people back in Israel anxiously await the report. I mean, man, this is what they've been looking for, praying for, thinking about. I mean, going all the way back to Joseph and Abraham and Isaac. This land has been talked about among their people. Then they spent all those hundreds of years in slavery to Egypt, building homes that were not their homes and building palaces and building beautiful things that were not their things, developing a land that was not their land, feeling the sting of a whip across their back. 
all the while on their knees saying, God, when? When? When are the promises that you made to us going to be realized? And Then we see that God raised up Moses. Moses came down, stood before Pharaoh. And he said, God told me to tell you, let my people go. And we see Pharaoh, as he looked down at Moses, and he said, who is this God that I should be mindful of him? And then we see that the plagues began to come down. And those plagues began to rain down on Egypt. Then we see at the end that the whole story concludes with the Red Sea being split open and Pharaoh and his armies being drowned in that Red Sea. And now on the other side of that Red Sea, they're on the journey. They're headed toward this place that's going to be their home, the land of milk and honey. This place that not only has the needs, that's the milk that God's going to provide for them. It's got everything they need, but it also had honey. All those sweet things that make life fun. All those wants that we all have, the sweet things of life. All those delicacies and desserts and those things that, that make life spicy. Amen? It's going to be everything they wanted. Their needs met and their wants also met. It's going to be a great place. And here they are. Now these 12 men are to go look it over. God's already told them it's theirs. God's already told them that he's going to give it to them. God has already prepared it, this place, this land for them. He raised up a man to take them to this land, and God has a plan to give it to them. And yet, there they are. Now, the report comes back. Now, we can see this report. Look at verse number 30 of uh, Numbers chapter 13. Back up just a little bit. We read verse 1 of chapter 14, but i got to show you why they're crying. Y'all ready to hear why they're crying? Well, let's look at it here. They start getting their report about all the good things that are there. That starts back there in verse number 17. They come back, they start talking about all the, the big old grapes that are there and all the fruits of the land and all the beautiful things of it. Then they get down, though. We come down, verse 28, he says, Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. If you're wondering about that, the children of Anak, those were giant people, big, strong, warrior, giant people. They dwelt there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and probably a few parasites along the way, amen? They dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Now, here it is. Look at verse 30. You ready for this? And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Man, we see an optimist there. I love optimism, don't y'all? We love it. We love to be around people and just believe it can be done. You know, there's, there's always pessimism. It's always around us. Somebody said one time that a, a pessimist is nothing more than an optimist who's had some experience. Somebody said one time that an optimist believes that he is living in the best of all time and living in the best of, of all creation. And then the pessimist is one who believes that that's probably true. He fears it's probably true. You know, I heard about two boys. One was a pessimist. One was an optimist. And they were doing a little study on them. And they decided to just do a little, little research on these two boys that had very distinct, contrasting personalities. One was always down. The other was always up. One always saw the bright side of things. The other always saw the downside of things. One, the cup was always half empty. The other one, the cup was always half full. They decided to do a little study on these boys, and they, they took them, and they put, a, the, the, they put the optimist boy in a room with nothing but hay. 
That's all that was in there, just a bunch of hay. Then they put the pessimistic boy in a room full of beautiful brand new toys. Every kind of toy that you could imagine, toys that boys would love to play with. I mean, just neat little things in there, a whole room full of them. And they observed the reaction of these boys. Well, the pessimistic boy began to look at the toys, and he began to get them out and look at them and play with them. Suddenly, he got very, just very melancholy, depressed. And the researcher said, son, what's wrong? You got all these wonderful toys. And he said, I know, but, but I know the more I play with them, they're going to get old and probably broken. And, and he said, I just know that these toys, as nice as they are now, they're going to probably end up broken, and, and, and I probably won't be able to keep them, and I'm going to have to leave them here. And he just found all kinds of reasons why he needed to be sad in the presence of all these toys. And they made their notes. Then they went over to the optimistic boy who was not given any beautiful toys, not given anything to make him happy, just a room full of hay. And I'm not talking about bales of hay. I'm talking about loose hay just spread out all over the floor. And the boy looked around. He saw all this hay, began to look at it. He kind of kicked around with his foot thinking, what in the world is this? And he's looking at it, trying to figure this out. Why am I in a room full of hay? And they're thinking, all right, this pessimistic boy is about to come out of this optimistic boy. He's about to show us that other side. Suddenly that boy's eyes got big. He got to looking around, and he looked back at the researcher, and he said, all right! And they said, what? He said, man, I know, I know, in a room full of hay, there's bound to be a horse around here somewhere. Where is it at? Where is it at? Man, I like, I like optimistic people. Oh, Caleb was optimistic. Sometimes we can wonder why was Caleb and Joshua. Joshua is a, a like spirit. We'll see some about him here in a minute. These guys were just very optimistic. And he says, man, we can go get this thing. We can overcome it. I, I know they're big, but we can do this. But now here comes the reality check here. Look at verse 31. But the men that went up with him said... We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And then it says in chapter 14, verse 1, all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. You know, I want to point out something. It seems that lack of faith is very contagious. It seems like lack of faith can be very contagious. Here we see a man saying, man, we can do it, we can do it. And then, if you will, the expert witnesses, the other ten men that went up, not counting Joshua. Joshua was on Caleb's side. But the other ten were united. They were confederate. And the fact that we can't do it. It's impossible. They're bigger than us, stronger than us. We're like grasshoppers. What are you thinking, man? And then we see that all the people became very discouraged. Became very defeated. We see that Ten men's lack of faith became a nation that lost their faith. Started with ten, it ended with an entire country weeping and questioning God. 
Well, I've seen it. I've seen churches ruined because a small segment of a church loses faith in their church, loses hope in their church, loses belief that their church can do anything more. And they, in that, they began to go backwards. They began to enter into a place of despair. And I've seen churches enter that disease of lack of faith and the discouragement that goes with it. Now let's look at the rest of the story here. Chapter 14, look at verse number 2. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. Here we see this discouragement leading to rebellion. People now are discouraged. Their faith is gone. They're turning on their leadership. By the way, when a church loses faith in God, one of the first things that church will do is turn on their pastor. You show me a church member that's struggling with their faith, I'll show you a church member with a gripey mouth about the leadership of his church. Exactly what's going on here. These are people in their own, having struggles in their own heart, following the plan of God. When you struggle following the plan of God, you will always struggle following the man of God. It just goes hand in hand. You show me a church where they're not moving forward, I'll show you a church full of people questioning the plan of God and fighting with the man of God. That's what's going on here. And we see that not only whenever Caleb stands and he starts to tell them and Joshua, they both start to say, hey, we can do this. God is on our side. We're not doing this on our own accord. We're doing this in following the will of God. We're doing this because God has told us to do it. This wasn't some plan that we hatched up. This was the obedient plan of God, the will of God that brought us to this place. Now, that makes God responsible. That makes God have to stand up and deliver us. And Joshua and Caleb are now reminding the people of, of this reality. Hey, they're big, but they're not bigger than God. God is with us. Well... We see in verse 10, they didn't want to hear it. One thing I've learned about people who lose their faith, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. They wanted to pick up stones and kill them and just remove that, that optimistic voice of God in their midst. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to be swayed. They didn't want to be led. They didn't want to be persuaded that God is able. They wanted to believe that defeat was the only thing that lay ahead. Look at verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me? 
for all the signs which I have showed among them. I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. And Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it. For thou broughtest up this people in thy might from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. For they have heard that the Lord art among this people, that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them by daytime in a pillar of cloud and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people unto the land which he sware unto them, therefore he hath slain them in the wilderness. And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according unto the greatness of thy mercy. And as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoke me see it. Now, I hope you catch what just happened here. For a moment, God felt that he would destroy these that were rebelling against his will and only allow those to move forward, and he was going to kill all of those that stood against Moses that very day. Moses stood in the gap and pleaded. This is called intercessory prayer. He interceded. He prayed for the sakes of those, the people he was leading. And he reminded God that if you do this, if you do this, the nations that you delivered them from are going to talk about you and say that you brought them out here just to kill them. What kind of God are you? He reminded God of his testimony. By the way, does it ever occur to you that our failures often get blamed on God? You know, a lot of people judge God by us. A lot of people judge God's mercy by the Christian, the Christian's mercy, the way Christians give mercy. A lot of people judge God's behavior by the way we behave. And you can see where Moses reminds God that the children of Israel, if this judgment falls upon them, you're the one going to get a bad name more than them. Well, God says this, then I'll catch this. God says, all right, I'm not going to take their lives. I'm going to let them live, but I'm not going to let them enter into this promised land. Their lack of faith has cost them something. It's cost them something. God had it for them. God wanted to give them, and it was in God's nature to bless them, and it was what God wanted, a land of milk and honey and a place to be their own, a place where they would be spared the whip and a place that they would have a nation of their own. God said, I'm going to tell you what, I wanted it for them, I had it for them, and I was going to give it to them, but their lack of faith, their children will receive it, but they themselves will not. They will perish in this wilderness in due time. And we know that from there they wandered for 40 years in that wilderness. And then in that process, they began to die off. I wonder, as I read this, a question that I have proposed here before, but I wonder what has your lack of faith cost you? 
I wonder what it is that God has designed for you, set aside for you, or planned for you that he wanted you to have. But your inability to believe in him, follow him, and place your faith in him kept him from being able to give it to you. That's something everybody ought to ponder. When we doubt God, it costs us something. It costs us something. God had his best for them, but their lack of faith cost them his best. Anybody with me out there? Is anybody awake? We see this judgment has now been passed. And it goes on to discuss some of this a little bit more. Then I want to draw your attention back to verse, all the way down to verse, let's pick it up here in verse number 35. I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. They're not going to get to go to the promised land. And the men which Moses sent to search the land, who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him, by bringing up a slander upon the land. Even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of the men that went to search the land, lived still. We see this time is going to pass. One by one, these ten negative spies, these men that brought a reproach upon Israel, led a rebellion against Moses. These ten men began to die off there in that wilderness. And that generation that joined in with them and began to murmur about the man of God and began to fight the plan of God, they're not going to get to now enter the land of God. They're going to die in a strange land. They're going to be buried in a strange land. Their legacy will be forgotten. They'll not get to see with their own eyes the greatness that God had for them. But I love this. We come to that, we see that bad part of it, but here's the good part. These two guys that stood even though they had to stand alone, even though they had to stand against the majority of the people, even though nobody wanted to hear what they had to say, people even took up stones to kill them, they lived still. At the end of it, Joshua and Caleb got to go into the promised land. Somebody said one time, nice guys finish last. Who's ever heard that statement? Well, I don't know about that. It appears here, nice guys are the only ones who get to finish. You know what? I'm just an old country boy. I've got a few degrees and some education, but I'd rely on common sense more than anything else. Common sense, when I read the Word of God, tells me that if we just simply believe in God, our story is going to have a happy ending. If you'll just simply stay straight. These guys just simply stayed straight. What's the key to pleasing God? Stay straight. What's the key to making God want to bless you? Stay straight. Hey, what's the key to having a happy ending to your life? Stay straight. There were ten other guys didn't stay straight. They diverted. They wanted to go backwards. They wanted to make a left hand and make a U-turn back to Egypt. 
They wanted to go back to a life of bondage. Like so many people who get into church and get discouraged, you got out of drugs, and you got out of alcohol, and you got out of the filth of immorality, and you plotted a new course, and you made God the guide of your life, and you started reading your Bible and praying and going to Sunday school where a, a way of wisdom was given to you. But then all of a sudden, you had problems with your faith, and you found that U-turn in the highway, and you wanted to go back to Egypt, back to the drugs, back to the alcohol, back to the immorality, Back to those nights that you used to look in the mirror and not respect what you saw looking back at you. So many Christians all over the world are doing this. Churches by the thousands this year will lose church members. Church members that have been saved and baptized. Church members that had made a commitment that they were going to walk in newness of life following the example of Jesus Christ. But just like these spies in the desert, they got to see in the obstacles. You know, the devil often stands in the way of you and what God wants for you. And so many times we get to looking at the obstacles. All the things that we'll have to overcome to have what God wants for us. And sometimes it just seems so big and sometimes we feel like grasshoppers in its presence. And by the way, there are things that are bigger than you if you're by yourself. I love what the old country preacher said. When old David strolled out there with his little sling and five stones, he didn't see the size of Goliath. He saw the size of God. So many people see the size of the giant. And these ten spies saw the size of the giant. And in that, their faith diminished. They took their eyes off God, much like Peter did when he got out of the boat. For a moment, he was walking on water. When he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was defying Everything. The Bible says he took his eyes off Jesus and soon began to sink. I'll tell you something, beloved. You get your eyes off Christ. You get your eyes on fellow church members. You get your eyes on the world. You get your eyes on the obstacles that Satan puts there. It won't be long before you start to sink in the mire of backsliding. It won't be long before you're getting a group of people and saying, Hey, let's go back to Egypt. And just as these men became discouraged, they didn't get discouraged alone. Discouraged church members begat discouraged church members. I've never seen a family really ever get mad and leave a church without taking a few families with them. Back to Egypt. Back to Egypt. Well, we see here Joshua and Caleb begging everybody not to do it and trying to show that God's in this thing while the rest of the nation stood against them. They went through all of this. They went through that period of watching people they'd known since their childhood as they began to die off in the wilderness one by one. But God sustained them, and their health stayed with them. And their bodies stayed strong. And their bodies fought off the illnesses and the things that happened to the others there in the wilderness. And when it was time to enter that promised land, they got to go in. I wonder how they were able to have faith in the midst of so much lack of faith. Boy, I tell you, it's discouraging when you look at the worldwide picture of people that seem to have lost their faith. It seems that churches all over the world struggle with church congregations that no longer believe in the power of God, that no longer believe that God is involved in the affairs of man. And because of that, 
They don't believe in the greatness of God, therefore they don't attempt great things for God. They're mired down. Mediocrity. And they're watching their pews go more and more and more bare. And I hear all the things. I preach out somewhat, and I deal with our own people, and the, sometimes the faith issues that I hear even around here. People that are dropping out of church, people that are not going to church, people that are that are letting other things divert them from the will of God. And I wonder, as I'm looking at Joshua and Caleb, I, I see others that will get discouraged when others get discouraged. Ten men led an entire nation to not believe in God. It wasn't really a hard sell, was it? We see a lot more words spoken by Joshua and Caleb positively than we saw negative words spoken by the other ten men, negatively. The hard sell was to getting people to believe in God. The easy sell was to go back to Egypt. The bondage and the yoke, the sadness, the despair. Well, I wonder, how did they stay faithful? How did they beat the odds and go against the others? Well, I want to give you three quick suggestions here. Number one, they looked up and saw God still on the throne. They looked up and saw God still on the throne. You know what you need to do when your faith is weak? Look up. Look up. You know, a study was done in a very large city in America where they concluded that the majority of its inhabitants suffered from an eye condition called nearsightedness. They couldn't see things far away. They could only see things close up. And they noted that many of the inhabitants of this city, it was a very large city, buildings everywhere, skyscrapers, and they noted that most of the people that had been raised there and lived there suffered from an eye disorder where they were not able to focus on things far away. And they concluded in this study done by a group of doctors that the reason why so many people suffered from eye problems was they rarely ever had to look more than 20 or 30 yards away. Everywhere they looked, there was a building, something to focus on close in. They never exercised their muscles to ever look far away. There was rarely any place they ever were in the heart of that city where they had to look far away. Everything was just right there close, and their eyes became weak because of this. And they developed an exercise for the people of that city to do. They told them that to fix this problem every day, spend a certain amount of time looking up and trying to focus on the sky above. You know what I notice about people with lack of faith? They're very nearsighted people. They can't see very far down the road. They see immediate problems, and they see, you know, things close up. Let me suggest for that nearsighted, faithless Christian, look up sometime. Set your eyes on things above. Amen? And I should have got some amens this morning. I really thought I'd get at least a couple amens. Look up. Get your eyes up. And you will see that God's still on the throne. He ain't gone anywhere. He hasn't stopped working. He hasn't stopped performing. He hasn't stopped doing great and miraculous things. Problem is, he's working all around us. But a faithless Christian never sees it. Never sees it. Too far, it's too high. I think not only did they look up and see God still on the throne, but they looked back. 
and saw that God had always kept his word. They looked up and they saw that God was still there. Their faith told them, God's got this. God's not going to leave us in despair. That old song that says he didn't bring us this far to leave us. They looked up and saw God up there. But then they stopped and they looked backwards. And they thought God was with us when we were in Egypt. And we prayed and we, we felt the sting of that whip on our back. We prayed and God delivered us. And God has kept his promises. And we know that God is going to see us through this thing because he's never let us down. Later on, you're going to see great miraculous things as you read through these books where every time they came to an obstacle, God provided. Water came out of a rock in the middle of a desert. I mean, bread would fall out of the sky and it would literally, they'd get up in the morning and it would be on the ground all around their tent. Not enough for a week's supply, but enough to get them through that day. But every day, God supplied their needs for the day. So he could look back and say, hey, history shows that God has always done what he needs to do. God's never let us down. God's answered our prayers. God has done what he said he's going to do. So God's history shows us that he is somebody we can believe in and bank on. Now, beloved, listen to me. Many times we place our failures on God's ledger. But if you're honest and, you, and you'll be fair with God, as you look back over your life, God was always there. And God's kept his word. Times whenever you didn't, he was always square. God was always there when you needed him. Now, people will get up in the air and say, well, what about when my grandmother died? And I prayed and I asked God not to let her die. My friend, you err because you don't understand Scripture. God has a reason for everything he does, and in his mercy, he brings people to heaven. If your grandmother had the choice to leave heaven and leave the presence of Jesus and come back here, she'd say, are you kidding? Are you crazy? Back there, man, I had disease, and I was sick, and I couldn't get out of bed, and I felt horrible, and I had to wear glasses and take shots. Here, I'm young, I'm beautiful, I'm healthy. I don't know what it's like to worry. Back there, I was full of it. Nobody worries more than a grandmother. Somebody say amen. Not only do you have your kids to worry about, but you got their kids to worry about. Woo! Up here, I don't have to worry. I live in faith. I'm comforted. And people throw out these kinds of things, but the you know, reality is God's never let you down. God's never let you down. And they were able to look back and see that God had always led them and had always kept his word. That they felt as they looked back on the history of God, he was bankable. Their faith was strong as they remembered what he had done in their life. What's God done in your life? What prayers has he answered in your life? What times were you down and you felt God lift you up? Because you placed your faith in him? Now, there was a third reason I believe they defied the odds and, and stayed straight. They looked forward and they saw victory. They looked up, saw God. They looked back and saw that God had always been there. Then they looked forward and they saw victory. You know, too many people live in the victories of the past. But I want to see new victories in the future. I'm happy about our church's heritage and the things that we've done over the 
years since 1952 when our church started. I'm happy. Big days. I've got pictures of our church back in the 60s when it averaged 800 people on Sunday morning. I'm happy for those things. But I want to look to the future and see victory. I want to look to the future and see things that are exciting. I want to look to the future and see where God is still doing great and miraculous things. I don't want to just read about it in books. I don't want to just hear the old men at the preacher's fellowship talk about the days when revival swept across our land and big things were happening and churches were growing and people were excited about God. Listen, I don't want to just look backwards. I want to look forward and see it in our future. I want my kids to see it with their own eyes that God can do great things. I don't want to talk about revival as a thing past and exciting churches as a thing past. And I believe with all my heart that the same God that blessed preachers in the 40s and in the 50s and in the 60s is the same God that can bless us in this 2018. And they looked forward and they said the same God that drowned Pharaoh in that Red Sea is the same God that's going to give us this land. That same God that rained fire and brimstone on Egypt, same God that's going to give us this land. That same God that caused the firstborn of every child in Egypt, it's the same God that's going to cause these walls to fall down in front of us. And they looked forward and they saw victory. And they stayed straight. They stayed straight. Others turned to the left, they stayed straight. Others turned to the right, they stayed straight. Some of them said, hey, let's go back. They stayed straight. We've got to stay straight. Listen to me. In this little story, we see that God rewards faith. How many of you believe that saying there? God rewards faith. In fact, lack of faith, God punishes, but God rewards faith. If you will go forward and stay straight in the faith that God is a rewarder of those that do right. You must stay straight. Stay straight. I see that God rewards faith, and I see that often the majority aren't always right. You need to stay straight even if others don't. Stay straight even if others don't. The others, they had a coalition. People could say, well, there's two guys that say we can do it. There's ten guys that say you're wasting your time. But in the end, the two guys were right. The other ten were wrong. The other ten died in the wilderness. The other two lived still. Stay straight, even if the majority does not. Listen to me, beloved. If every member of this church gets backslidden and loses their faith and quits church and goes and chases money and chases sin and chases transgression, you stay straight. If next Sunday morning I get here and it's just my wife, my three kids, me and you, Stay straight. You don't want to be in the wilderness with everybody else. You see, there were a bunch of people that felt Joshua and Caleb were crazy and that they had blind loyalty. Maybe they said they're just kiss-ups. They're just kissing up to Moses. They don't really believe that. They're just kissing up. To... Look, all the things that are said to a faithful church member, you drunk the Kool-Aid. You just don't see anything that man does. All those things that... The, that, that, that the people trying to go backwards will say, you need to remember, if everybody else goes backwards, you stay straight. You just stay in the book. You stay following what God tells you to do. 
You stay on your knees. You stay in prayer. You stay faithful to church. You stay in Sunday school. Even if others quit, you stay straight. Hey, Sunday night, when others quit, you stay straight. You get here and say, well, man, there's just not a lot of people coming on Sunday night. I think I'll quit too. No, 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 no. Joshua and Caleb live still because they didn't join in with what everybody else was doing. You stay straight. And God will bless you. Well, but a lot of people don't go to soul winning, and that's correct. A lot of people don't. But you stay straight, and you'll have a crown of righteousness to lay at the foot of Jesus one day. Well, a lot of people are into sin. Yeah, a lot of people are. I agree with that statement. A lot of people live in wicked lives. A lot of people are going to lose their marriages. A lot of people are going to lose their kids. A lot of people are going to lose their health. A lot of people are going to lose their testimony. You stay straight. God will bless you. And we're starting to feel it in here, aren't we? Starting to feel it. Hey, this little story shows that with God, impossible things become possible. Because I know the end of the story here. Now, at this point, we didn't read all the way through. That'd take us hours. But let me just give you, let me just tell you what happens at the end. Y'all want to know what happens at the end? They come back 40 years later. All those others had died in the wilderness. But they come back, and those walls of Jericho were standing there. They were huge. But you know what happened? God caused those walls to just crumble. And their enemies fled before them, and they were able to inherit the entire place and all of its wealth and riches. At the end, they won. That's a good story. A story that ends good. It's not a bad story. It's not a sad story. It's not a story of defeat. And guess what? Joshua and Caleb were there to see it and enjoy it. They lived still at the end of it all. It ends well. What seemed impossible became possible when they finally put their faith in God. By the way, Y'all know the story how God told them to march around it and blow their horns and all that stuff? How many of you know the story? The walls of Jericho? I've actually been, I was not able to go look at it because it's owned by, it's ruled by the Muslims. They control that part of, that, of the land. But I was able to get within 500 yards of where they say the walls of Jericho were. And I was able to see it out there. They had gates all around it. By the way, they don't want you to see it. it kind of blows a hole in some theories that they don't, you know, they don't want you to see that stuff. Because when you see a wall that for no apparent reason just crumbled into the desert, you know, and it fell outwards. It was really neat. They explain all this, but by the way, on Wednesday nights, I'll be covering science, archaeology, and the Bible. I got a whole night dedicated to the walls of Jericho and current archaeological finds on it. Don't miss it. That was a commercial, by the way. Stay straight on Wednesday night. Amen. Hey, the story ends with something miraculous happening. They end up getting this land. By the way, it's the most bloody piece of real estate on the planet. It's choice real estate. But God gave it to them. Battle after battle, where they were the underdog, God delivered victories into their hand. And it was always about faith. As long as they believed, God delivered. When they didn't believe and they tried to do it on their own, they failed. As long as they obeyed, as long as they followed, believing that God was in control, they were victors. Listen, from this story, I've concluded this, that the best thing I can do in life is not seek to be successful because that can be very fickle. It can be hard to keep, hard to hold, amen? You can be successful one minute, 10 minutes later be out of fashion. You can be 
successful one minute, ten minutes later, everybody's saying all you ever do is talk about what you did ten minutes ago. It just doesn't seem to bring the joy that you think it'll bring. I, I don't really feel that, that I need to spend my life seeking to, you know, be powerful or prestigious. But I've learned that the best thing I can do in life by reading this is just to simply stay straight for Jesus. If I want my life to have a happy ending, I need to stay straight for Jesus. I need to stay straight, number one, in my Christianity. I need to keep moving forward. I need to never go back, what we call backsliding. I need to make sure I don't lose ground. I've got to keep going forward. I cannot lose my faith. I'm amazed at how many senior Christians lose their faith. They believed when they were in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s. Listen, you wouldn't believe I've talked to old men that I, would, I just can't believe how many of them sometimes due to health problems and issues and losses have lost their faith and have lost practicing their Christianity. Yeah, I used to go to church. Used to be a deacon, in fact. Yeah, I got out. Hadn't been in 20 years. Man, stay straight. In your senior years, stay straight. Don't lose your joy of Jesus. Don't lose the joy of coming to church. Sometimes your body aches and it hurts and sometimes it works against you and your health is gone. But don't lose the joy in prayer and the joy of Bible study and the joy of doing what you can, when you can, for the cause of Jesus. There's nothing more sweet than seeing a precious senior saint that's been married, or not been married, but been saved for 40 or 50 years. As they get tears in their eyes and they tell you, I wish I could do more. I think one of the things that hurts my heart a lot is to talk to some of our senior saints who tell me when we're doing these big things and big events, often they'll come to me afterwards and say, Preacher, I'd give anything. I could go help with that. I'd love to go out and go on that bus blitz and go out door knocking. But I just can't walk anymore. My legs won't carry me. My knees won't hold me. But you'll see tears in their eyes where they envy the younger church members who are still able to get out there in these neighborhoods and go soul winning. By the way, all you healthy ones, what's your excuse? Amen. I'd be ashamed to have somebody that's retired, their health is gone, have more of a desire to serve Jesus than I do being healthy. But I'll have them tell me, I wish I could do it. And here's the thing, I can look back over their life and see when they could do it, they did do it. When they were able to go soul winning, they went. When they were able to come to church and Sunday school, they came. Now they're in those older years. Their only regret is, is they can't do for Jesus what they once did, but they haven't lost the desire, and they haven't lost the sweetness, and they haven't lost that stir in their heart that the Holy Spirit brings. But yet, I've seen older Christians that have lost that long ago. They don't remember the last time they pushed away a tear during the middle of a sermon. They don't remember the last time they felt something twirl in their heart and felt the compulsion to come to an altar and pray. They can't remember the last time they fell on their knees and looked up to the heavens and said, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh God. It's me, I'm the one you're talking to today. They can't read. that stuff's long gone. It's just a memory. Oh my goodness, let's, let's stay straight in our Christianity. And keep moving forward till the day we die. Let's stay straight in our calling. Do what God has called you to do till the end. Go out with your boots on. Stay straight in our character. Stay straight in our character. I want us to, 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 to move forward and grow in our character, but stay straight in it. Don't be one of those that's doing right for three months and doing bad for the other ten. 
Number nine, stay straight in your character. What's right today is right tomorrow. You stand on your convictions and your biblical principles. If it's right to do it at, at 30, it'll be right to do it at 31. And it'll be right still at 32, and it'll be right at 33. Stay straight with your convictions and your character. And then let's stay straight as a church. Let's stay straight in our cause. Let's keep our cause straight. Our cause is to do the work of Jesus, not to be a social club or a fellowship gathering. Sometimes I've I got to preach a message that may not be a popular message, but I have to always make sure it's a straight message. We need to stay straight as a church in our cause. And let's stay straight in our doctrine. Churches are getting rid of doctrine all over the world. Man, I want to say here in 2018, I'm not, I don't really care about what the world thinks is right. I care about what the Bible thinks is right. And I'm going to do my best to stay straight in our doctrine. Let's stay straight in our dedication. Let's not get discouraged and grow weary in well-doing. Does it get harder to serve God in these modern times? You bet it does. Is there more opposition than there's ever been to getting people to do right? Yeah, there is. I'm reminded of the story of an old preacher named Jack Hudson. Jack Hudson told the story how he was very discouraged. His church was not doing well. It was declining. and He didn't feel that, that the power of God was on their church anymore. and He was even contemplating quitting the ministry. He was so down. And he felt that there was nowhere to go but backwards. Nothing to do left but quit. He said he was sitting there in his kitchen and he was looking out the window as he was just contemplating these discouraging thoughts, literally planning his exit strategy. How can I quit the ministry and not look bad? How can I blame it on other people? How can I do this without bringing the wrath of God? And he said, these thoughts were on my mind and I was sitting there and he said, I got to notice in an old red pit bull. I guess it had gotten out of someone's yard and it was walking up the street. He said it was big and it was wide. It had a big old square head. It was walking up their road. He lived in a neighborhood with other houses. He said he, walked it as it be, he watched it as it began to walk up the street. He said it had a swagger about it. Head up high, shoulders broad, eyes fixated on something at the end of the street. In no hurry, just taking one step at a time, strolling up the road. He said he noticed that suddenly a little chihuahua ran out of someone's garage and ran up to the side of the road and began to bark at it. That was a pretty good chihuahua, wasn't it? He said that bulldog never even looked at it. Eyes straight forward walking up the street. That dog barked and threw a fit. He said he went on down the road and two bird dogs ran out of the yard, jumped on the chain link fence and began to, in, in unison, both bark and bark and bark and bark at it. But he said that dog was undetoured. He just kept moving forward. He said, I stood there and I watched it till it was out of sight. Yard after yard, little lap dog and little yard dog barking at it. It never stopped. It just stayed on the path that it had plotted and kept walking until it got to wherever it was going. He said, I sat there at my breakfast table. He said, I felt convicted. I said, Lord, help me to be a bulldog for you. Help me just to stay straight. Not worry about the little chihuahua barking at me. Not worry about the bird dogs. Not worry about the distractions over here and over in this yard. But just stay straight. Church, I want to encourage you this year. Let's stay straight. 
Is it going to be easier to serve God? No. Is it going to be easier to fill these pews? No. Just stay straight. Are there going to be less temptations in your life? No. There's going to be more. Is it going to be easier to be a righteous person? No, it's going to get harder. It's going to get harder. The only hope you have is stay straight. Just stay straight. Keep going the right direction. I want you to bow your heads this morning. Joshua and Caleb live still. Joshua and Caleb, man, they lived still. Everybody else died. They lived on. Everybody else got, they robbed themselves of the blessing God had for them. But not Joshua and Caleb. They lived still because they stayed straight. Can you stay straight? When others quit church, can you stay straight? When others don't want to come to Sunday night, Wednesday night, or Sunday school, can you stay straight? When others don't go to soul winning, can you stay straight? When others don't tithe, can you stay straight? When other people are running off and leaving their wife or their husband, can you stay straight? When other people are not raising their kids right, can you stay straight? If you will, you'll live still. Stay straight and you'll stay with God. You'll be going where God wants you to be. And When you get where God wants you to be, you find the land of milk and honey. You find blessings. You find your needs met and you find your wants met. But you got to stay straight. That's the burden that you have on you. Stay straight. Don't lose your faith. I hope the message today has encouraged you as I'm launching this year. What is my goal for Orlando Baptist Temple? That we become the biggest church in town? No. No, I mean, I think it's great to reach people. And I want to reach people, but that's not my goal. Is it your goal, your goal to be the fastest growing this or the fastest growing that? No. How many people do you want to reach this year? You know, I just want to reach everybody we can. I'm not going to stand here and say that I want to reach 50 or 80 or 100. Let's reach everybody we can. But you know what my goal is for this year? What my hope is, is that in 12 months, I'm pastoring the same people who have stayed straight. If others have come and joined us, great, but let's not go backwards. If others have come to be a part of this family, wonderful. That's going to be part of the work that we're doing. But my main goal is to keep straight those that we've already reached. My hope and my prayer is that when we gather here this time next year, I'm looking at a group of people that have made it through another year of serving the Lord and did not turn to the right or the left or go backwards. You stayed straight. Vow in your heart to stay straight. Vow in your heart to stay straight. Don't let the devil detour you. Is there anyone that can say, Pastor Riggs, I don't know that I'm saved, but I want to be? Would you raise your hand? Preacher, I don't know that I'm saved. I, I've never asked Jesus into my heart. But I need to be saved before it's too late. Anybody? Let me ask a second question. Is there anybody here today that could say, Pastor Riggs, I want a purpose in my heart. Stay straight. To stay faithful. Just follow the Lord's will and stay straight and not backslide. Today on this launch day of 2018, I want a purpose in my heart to do all that I can to just stay faithful in 2018. Would you just raise your hand as a commitment? No one's looking but me. Now don't raise it unless you mean it. Don't play games with God. Don't be a phony. 
But if you sincerely say, Preacher, I see the greatness and just stand straight. I see the greatness. I just want to stay straight. Boy, I see hands everywhere. Dear Father, you saw the hands that were just raised. We live in a world of change. God, I've watched literally hundreds of people get into church and then get right back out of church. Sometimes I'll be looking through pictures and books and I'll see pictures of people. Pictures and picture books that we have around the church. And I'll see this family and that family and this person and this teenager and this old man, this elderly lady. I'll see their pictures. And it'll jar my memory and I'll think, I remember them. I remember when they used to come to our church. And I'll wonder, whatever happened to them? Somewhere along the way, they just got out. Somewhere along the way, they got diverted. Somewhere along the way, they turned back. Somewhere along the way, they lost their faith. Now, Lord, many of those people, I'm very aware of where they're at today and what their life is today. And Lord, it seems that many of them are lost in a wilderness. Many of them seem, Lord, that they just don't know which way to go. They're stuck in a land of confusion, the land that the devil guided them to. Lord, I've never seen their stories end up being good. I've never seen a home become better because it drops out of church. I've never seen a marriage become better because they quit serving God. I've never seen a child of God become better when they forsake the way of God. And yet people do it every day. And it seems that lessons and examples and history is ignored greatly. But let us be like Joshua and Caleb, looking up and seeing you on the throne. Looking backwards and seeing that you were always there and you saw us through, miracle after miracle. And then looking ahead and seeing that victory can be ours if we'll just stay straight, stay the course. No turning back, no turning back. Let us decide to follow Jesus. Till the end, as a church, let us stay straight. These hands that were raised, Lord, hear their prayers. Now, Lord, I'm going to release them to the altar to pray with you for a minute about it, make their own commitments, talk to you about it. Lord, they know in their heart where they have not stayed straight. Some of them need to come to this altar right off the bat this year and get their heart right with you. They haven't stayed straight in their private life. They've allowed sins to creep in. They haven't stayed straight in their marriage. They haven't stayed straight in their faithfulness to you. They've allowed diversions to come. And they need to repent of this before you can use them and restore them and, and bless them. And if they refuse to repent, then, Lord, we know how the story ends. We know how it always ends. We know how it ended every single time. They will be no exception. And God, I can't move a church forward if the church doesn't want to go straight. Lord, help our church to want to go straight. Help it to stay straight, go the right direction. Wherever you lead, we'll go. We'll follow. Now hear their prayers as they come to do what is necessary this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Beloved, I hope you'll come to the altar today.